You are listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. Steve Myers, who covers national security for the New York Times out of the paper's DC bureau, is the author of The New Czar, The Rise and Reign of Vladimir Putin. In his nearly three-decade career with the Times, Steve spent seven of them in Russia during the time that Putin consolidated his grip on the Kremlin. Thanks for being our guest. It's a pleasure to be here. Your visit, in fact, launches our World Affairs Council series on Russia, which is sponsored by PwC, and it will continue throughout the year. What are the three or so critical points that are adversely impacting U.S.-Russian relations at this time? Boy, it's hard to narrow it down to three, but I would say the main thing is Putin's view of Russia's place in the world and a sense that he has that it has not been respected for the last quarter century, really, certainly in his time in office. I would say that was number one, a desire to reestablish respect for Russia as a global power. The reasons for that, I would say, have to do a lot with what he views as American exceptionalism or even aggression around the world. We don't see it that way in the United States, but in his view, if you look at NATO expansion, for example, that's something that he considers very much a direct threat to Russian interest. Likewise, promotion of, broadly speaking, democratic values in his mind is interference in the affairs of other states. And he points to everything from Iraq, the invasion there, to Libya and the intervention ultimately toppled Gaddafi, but also support for places like Ukraine, where we, the United States, look to bring these former Soviet states into the fold, into the European Union, if you will. And he sees that as directly interfering with what is Russia's sphere of influence. How stable and or authentic is his popularity within Russia? It's remarkably stable and has been. It's gone up and down. By up and down, I really mean like from 60s up to almost 90. It's about 82% now. I take it with a grain of salt a little bit because, you know, it's a very different system and society there. There's a lot less competition, certainly not as much vigorous free media. The former ambassador to Moscow, Michael McFaul, joked the other day about even Obama might have 80% approval ratings if he had the kind of control over TV that Putin has. But nonetheless, it's genuine. There are definitely people I would say a majority of people in Russia who look to Putin as being a, a source of stability and a strong leader. Russia and particularly Putin have certainly become a campaign issue. I don't know what the impact will be on the ballot box, but Trump has been sharply rebuked by the Clinton campaign, as well as many in the Republican Party for his favorable comments about Putin and his leadership. And then I was reading that even the editors of Forbes magazine not too long ago described Putin as the most influential world leader. How do you see that, and how do you view that the two candidates would approach our relations with Russia? You're right that Trump has taken a position that really bucks not just the, what I would describe in Washington certainly as a sort of national security consensus, but his own party. And Mitt Romney four years ago talked about Russia as being the number one geopolitical threat. And at the time, some people thought that that was an exaggeration. And yet now you have Trump coming forward to say that Putin's actually somebody that he admires and that he thinks he can work with. I would say Clinton is probably much closer to the consensus. In her view, in her book, she talks about having a very hard attitude or needing to have a hard attitude towards Russia because of some of the things that Putin has done. Though she was also part of the 
reset in the early part of the Obama administration. So I think the short answer to that is we don't know. But the one thing we do know with certainty, I think, is that Russia is going to be a very problematic leader for whoever is elected. And Putin really doesn't have the best feeling towards Secretary Clinton, does he? Because he really feels that she sort of orchestrated some of the campaign against him during the last presidential campaign in Russia? That's true. And when the protest erupted in the parliamentary elections, she was in Europe at the time. I was actually traveling with her as a State Department reporter. And she criticized the conduct of the campaign, and he responded very sharply towards her. In her own memoir, she talks about dealing with him and trying to find common ground. For most of the time when she was secretary, he was not the president, and he was prime minister, even right. though he remained the paramount leader of the country. He wasn't the official head of state, and the Obama administration invested its energy, according to protocol, to the head of state, Dmitry Medvedev at the time. So she tried to seek ways to find common ground, work with them on the issues that they could. And there were some. Obama administration, I'll tell you, in the first years, there was some grounds for cooperation and some successes. So again, looking at the US elections, CNN was running the story about potential Russian hacker involvement. How serious is it, and how high does it reach about trying to perhaps disrupt our elections? I mean, I think it's very serious, and I only know what the intelligence officials say in Washington, which is that this is something that they can at least trace to Russia and to yeah. intelligence agencies there. It's hard to say, of course, when you're dealing with intelligence matters that... One would assume they would not be doing this without Putin's consent. I was about to say that intelligence by design is meant to be obfuscated a little bit and murky. We're not really supposed to know the source and they've done that well. But it is hard to imagine that an intelligence agency in Russia would be working freelance on an issue dealing with the country that Putin considers the most important in the world. So it's not the kind of relationship that they would treat very lightly. Now, there's been a lot of talk as well about Donald Trump's relationship business interest with Russian oligarchs. Perhaps that's one reason he doesn't want his tax returns released. What have you been able to dig up on his investments or Russian investors in his companies? We don't know a lot about his direct investments, if you will, with, with Russians. And I, I would just say stay tuned on that. He has made some trips there. He hosted a Miss Universe pageant there and had a great time. This was in 2013. Quite enjoyed the experience. Didn't meet Putin himself. Not even in the green room. <laughs> not even in the green room, no. But a lot of the people who have been on his campaign or who are advising him are people who do do business in Russia. And they look at Russia as a place where we should not have an adversarial relationship. Whatever mm -hmm. our differences in the world, there's energy deals to be made and so forth. And you still, even now, see quite a bit of investment that's going on in certainly countries and companies that would like to invest in Russia. And the inverse, that lots of Russians are very much interested in parking money in the United States, partly because it's safer. It's also a good investment climate here. I wouldn't be surprised to see more of those links with people either on the campaign or, or Trump himself. One positive event was last week when Secretary Kerry and Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov reached a form of agreement concerning Syria. Do you think this is going to hold? And how can this evolve when you realize that Russia, at least to date, wants to keep Assad in power, or at least has kept him in power, and the United States has taken a different position? It's, of course, hard to predict on these things. A safe bet is that the peace efforts will fail because they have for the first five years of the yeah. war already. But you know, one's always hopeful that there's some room for, if not a cessation of hostilities or a resolution, but at least some easing of the conditions because of so many people being killed. That said, even if this 
deal were implemented to the letter, it's really only a first step. It doesn't end the war. It may move the United States and Russia closer to jointly bombing or targeting the Islamic State. But again, we're not there yet. And before we end our chat, you've been covering for the last several months for the New York Times Mrs. Clinton's email controversy. Where does it stand now from a legal perspective? And what do you think if she is elected in November, will it continue to be a cloud over her administration? You know, it's not for me to really judge whether it be a cloud or not. I would say that the FBI director announced that he did not see grounds for charges that upset a lot of people on the Republican side, in Congress especially, and they have vowed to keep asking questions about that. There are additional freedom of information lawsuits out there seeking more information about the arrangement of the server that she had for those four years. Well, I think it's a fair bet, at least politically, that it will continue to be an issue. Steve, thanks so much for being with us. I know we have lots of members downstairs who are eager to hear you speak about your book that's now in paperback, The New Czar, The Rise and Reign of Vladimir Putin, Stephen Miles. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Thank you.